if you had a reset button, what would you use it for? What if we could reset life to pre-COVID? So much has changed in the past two years. Would you use a reset button to go back to life as it was? Maybe you were in the wrong place at the wrong time and the consequences of that have been hard to bear. Or maybe a poor decision has haunted you which you wish you could take back. Or maybe some words left your mouth which you regret saying now. Or maybe there was some kind of behavior, some action that harmed you or others and that should have been worked on a long time ago. If you had a reset button, what would you use it for? I guess most everyone has regrets. Regrets tell us something about ourselves. Regrets are a mirror showing us at the most unflattering angles. We can always pose for a selfie, showing our best side, but the mirror of regret is brutally honest. We're in a sermon series entitled Created for Worship, and we've looked at appreciation of God or awe, We've looked at words from God, God's self-revelation um, through, his, through his words, through truth, through scripture. And today we're going to approach a part of worship that is unpleasant but foundational. And that is confession to God. And today we want to wrestle with the fact that worship is worthless if we first haven't radically inventoried our attitudes, our actions, our heart, our mind, to see if there is anything there that is a block, a hindrance to our relationship with God. Worship without confession is worthless. Oh yes, we can all agree that confession is absolutely necessary. We can even point out some people who clearly need to confess their sins. It's just so obvious to us. And in fact, Christians have excelled at pointing out sin, and in particular, sexual sins. Now, I don't know why those are at the top of our lists of sins, but there has been a heavy emphasis on those kinds of sins, sometimes to the exclusion of others. I've been listening to a podcast from Christianity Today, which is called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hills, and it has broken my heart. It's about the explosive growth of a church in the Seattle area, the rise to fame of its lead pastor, and with fame comes tremendous power, with the result that the church really centered all around him, and then that pastor's sin being exposed and the church shut down. What was the pastor's sin? I know you're wondering. It's got to be either a sexual sin or embezzlement. It's got to be money or sex. I know you're thinking that. Well, no. His sin was how he dealt with his anger. How he rode over people who had even the slightest disagreement with him. How he abused his power. His sin was pride. His sin was he never apologized or admitted he was wrong. His sin was that he lied and no one checked him. He said he read one book every day for years and people raised their eyebrows at that but no one told him to knock it off because he kept repeating that lie publicly many times his sin was that he plagiarized books and when someone called him on it other christians came to his defense saying why are you going to put down a good man why are you going to take down a great man for such a little thing he's doing so much good for the lord look people are coming to know jesus people's lives are being changed 
there was a thread that was running through his ministry that he really was hard on women. His teachings really beat them down. But he was really, really hard on men, too. His sin was that he refused to submit to anyone, only to God. He claimed he submitted to God. Now, there's a network of these prominent preachers, and all of them are pastors of huge churches, and they talk a lot about authority and who is covering whom in this particular network that he belonged to. And this pastor refused to submit to any pastor who had a smaller church than him. And the way he counted members, he had the largest church of them all. So he didn't submit to anybody. And no, there was no sexual sin. Since we've had to call the plumber in the past month, I'm thinking about sin. And I'm thinking that sin is what plugs up the line. Let the hearer hear what I'm saying. Sin is the hurt that is caused, the thing that is wrong. And what cleans out the line is the water of life. The opposite of sin, clear, flowing, moving water of life, which is love, mercy, forgiveness, grace. And sin clogs the line instead. Now, have you had a toilet pipe clogged lately? It is gross, it is nasty, it is smelly, and maybe for a while the water has been flowing a little slower, and so you kind of get an idea there's something in there gumming up the works, but you can pretend that it isn't there because it's kind of a pain to deal with. But the day comes when the toilet water stops running, when the sin has gotten too big and when it can't be hidden anymore. And it's a big mess. Now you try to fix it yourself. You've heard that if you pour dishwashing liquid down in there and wait a little while, that'll just kind of grease it up and everything's going to flush down. And so you do that. You wait a while. You plunge it. And all you get is brown bubbles. And then you graduate to bleach, which actually does take care of a lot of the smell, but not the clog. And then you've got to make a special trip to the store for Drano, and you've got to follow directions, and still nothing doing. And then you go to church, because church has exactly what you need to unplug that toilet. And you get the thingamabobby, what's the thing that goes down, the snake, the snake that goes down into the pipes from downstairs. You get that from downstairs, from that room across, from uh, next to the dungeon. And full of confidence, you go home and you struggle for some time and you try your hardest, but you cannot get that, the, the thingy to turn the corner on the pipe. So then... Then, when you have exhausted all resources within your natural capacity, when you have tried all of the folk wisdom, when you still have brown water in the toilet, then you call the plumber. Do you hear me, my beloved? I'm saying that sin is devastating to you and to all the people around you. Sin hurts others and will most certainly cycle back and bite you. Sin breaks connections, connections with God and connections with others. And the thing about sin that is so devastating is that sin stops love and mercy from flowing. Sin stops life-affirming, life-giving relationships. 
the water that you keep pouring into yourself to counter counteract the consequences of sin, the water of worship that is supposed to be revitalizing to you gets contaminated instead. It turns brown. It doesn't flow through. It doesn't help you. And as long as sin is plugging up the line, worship without confession is worthless. This is a lesson that the people of Israel had to learn over and over again. And flipping through the pages of the prophets, we see a picture of God's people who thought that they were okay because they had a temple, because they took sacrifices to worship, because they followed the holy days, because they fasted, because they were prosperous and successful. And then they turned around and oppressed the poor and treated the orphans and the widows and the immigrants poorly and lacked mercy and generosity. So those acts of worship did not save them from the judgment of God. Proverbs 15.8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Now imagine one day waking up to the unwelcome news that you, a worshiper of God, were now counted on the side of the wicked and all those acts of worship didn't count. Proverbs 21.3 says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And by they, the people of Israel, I really mean we, because we're no different. We can so easily take success as a sign of God's blessing and feel no need for correction. But we don't get to come to church and receive the flow of God's blessings to us if we are stopped up with sin. Now, thankfully, our heavenly plumber has provided for us a way out just by calling him direct 1-800-CONFESS. That's 1-800-266-4377. All we have to do is pick up the confession line and talk to him honestly about our shortcomings. So our passage for today is going to help us with this necessary step of confession, which will then result in worthwhile worship. And I'm going to read the whole passage so that you can see the circling around and around that happens, and then we'll go through it more slowly. We're in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So now we're just going to focus a few verses at a time and walk through this. John starts out in verses 5 and 6 with light and darkness. Now I say clear flowing water and brown stopped up water. I just feel like that biblical writer and I are on exactly the same page. 
And look at how fellowship with God and walking in darkness are complete opposites. We can walk with God or we can walk in darkness. It's either or. It can never be both and. And if we say we're walking with God when we are not, we lie and do not do what is true. It's interesting, doing what is true. What we say is very tied up in what we do. The integrity of the whole person is what we're looking at here. So when we compartmentalize our lives, when we act one way, but say another, talk another way, when we are inconsistent with what we say we value, then we are liars walking in darkness. But John is not going to leave us in that negative. So then he follows up with verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light automatically means walking with God. And when we do that, automatically it means that we have fellowship with one another. So if sin divides... Cleansing from sin unites. If sin breaks and tears down, cleansing from sin connects and heals. And if sin disrupts our vertical relationship, cleansing from sin restores both the vertical and the horizontal relationships. Cleansing from sin through the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, gives us unity and restores us back to each other. Now think, if you will, about where the fissures are in your life, the ruptures in your relationships, even and including church relationships or relationships with other Christians. Think about where you clash in your relationships. And think carefully about the part that you play in those clashes, because in any clash, obviously, I am in the right. This is the way my mind works. I assume this is the way your mind works. So think carefully about that tendency to put ourselves on the side of right. And maybe one day to do this is to reconsider whether the other person in that relationship has received the flow of God's love and mercy through you. And if it's not flowing through you is God's care of that person plugged up or totally clogged through your sin. Verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Why you got to bring us down, John? Didn't you just say the same thing two verses ago? But the old apostle is on to something here. He's lived long enough to know about our caginess when we confront our own sin. He knows about our tendency to rationalize and to justify. So he asks us to check ourselves again. Yeah, I already checked myself and absolved myself. Really? John says, check again. Check yourself again. One thing I love about this passage on confession is that it's in the plural. John has been around long enough to know himself and to find himself coming up short. So when he asks you to check yourself again, he's committed to checking himself again as well. And once more, from the negative of verse 8 to the positive, verse 8 said, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
and the truth is not in us. Now the positive, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, the beauty, the relief of verse 9. When you're waiting for that plumber to come, they usually give you a four-hour window. And many times before you have waited, sitting there, only to get a message at the end of the day that the plumber couldn't make it that day. It'll have to be tomorrow. Every time you call a plumber, you got to wonder, is he really going to come? But not our heavenly plumber. We never have to worry if he's even going to listen to us. We don't have to worry as to what his answer is going to be to our confession. He's never going to say, nope, you used up all of your confessions. I'm all out of mercy when it comes to you. You don't seem to learn your lessons. No. Blessedly, no. God is faithful to us when we confess our sins to him. He forgives us every time. God is faithful to us when we have been unfaithful to him. Just let that sink in. Confession is being truthful, full frontal honesty with no excuses, no rationalizations, no spinning it in our favor. Confession is being truly sorry for what we have done, recognizing and acknowledging the wrong, truly, repentantly apologizing. And it's really hard for us to do this. True repentance and apology are learned because normally we avoid that responsibility. I scrutinize public figures and politicians when they apologize in, pu in public to see if it's a real apology. And mostly they teach us how to not confess. So let us not say the other person made me do it. You know, that's what Adam said when he got caught out in sin. Let's not do that. And let's not say, I'm sorry if you feel badly about it. Let's not put it on the other person for misinterpreting or just feeling some kind of way about it. And let's not say, that's just the way I am. As if you're too old to change or as if you deserve a little special carve out because of your personality. True repentance and confession means fully acknowledging our wrongdoing. Saying specifically what it is that we did wrong. Acknowledging that we hurt God and that we hurt others. Accepting that the brokenness that ensued are the consequences of our action. Stating our intention to change, to not go down that path again. Turning away from that behavior or thought pattern that led us astray. Being sorry for what we did. Working on that piece of ourselves that wanted to go down this path of sin. Asking for forgiveness. Now, none of that feels good. It doesn't feel good before the actual confession to have to put yourself in this stream of thought. Nobody wants to go through that humiliation, through that submission. But honesty sure feels good after. It's such a relief. And forgiveness feels even better. And God is just in forgiving our sins, our passage says. 
he's not just letting it slide as if it didn't matter to him or as if it didn't matter to the person that you hurt. Our forgiveness, our cleansing, depends on the death and resurrection of his beloved son, Jesus. Our forgiveness was not cheap. When we confess our sins, God forgives us in Christ. Let's look at the last verse of this passage on confession, verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Wait a minute, wait a minute, a third time, old man John, again with the self-examination, again with the hitting over the head that we are sinners, and this is the end of this chapter, you're going to leave us on a negative, the previous two times they had the negative followed by a positive, negative followed by a positive, and now a negative, and you're going to leave us hanging here? Does the old man know us, or what? We are capable of tremendous self-delusion. I'm not sure that I trust myself, to be honest, in this self-inventory, because I tend to be kinder to myself. I tend to give myself a pass I wouldn't extend to others. I tend to be defensive instead of open. I tend to excuse my behavior. But worship without confession is worthless. So let's think on it again. If we have scrutinized ourselves, let's pray that God will reveal our sin to us. Or let's ask the person that we feel friction with to tell us what's wrong. Oh, now you're getting too radical, Pastor Connie. Ask the people around us to point out our sin. Can we stand that kind of honesty? I can't help but think back to the pastor of Mars Hills, who, if he had been open to feedback, and if he was willing to humble himself, maybe less people would have gotten hurt. So, I don't know if I even wanted to do this, but I'm, I'm doing it. I invite you to open yourself, and I want to make that invitation myself, that if I have hurt you, just come to me and talk to me. If I haven't acknowledged it, come and tell me about it. Let me hear it. And then I'm going to have to sleep on it. And then I'm going to have to check myself three times to just lower the defensiveness in hearing that. That's how long it takes me. And then I'm going to have to pray on it. And then let me confess. So I make that invitation with all sincerity. I don't think we can grow in our relationships if we're not willing to do that work. John says, third time around, people. Go one more time around. Don't let yourself off the hook too easily. Get to the root of it, or else you're making God a liar, and his word is not in you. Now, I hope you hear what I'm saying today. Christians are particularly prone to excusing our sin. We imagine that our sins are slight compared to the sins of others. And because we go to church, because we read the Bible, because we pray, 
we excuse our temper tantrums, our harshness with other people, our small lies, our cheating God, maybe cheating others, whatever it is, you just fill in the blank. It doesn't have to be a big, huge sin. We excuse it. We excuse ourselves. And so we church people are in the high-risk category of delusion, self-delusion. Just the same as the people of Israel. If you notice in my plumbing example, even going to church didn't fix the problem because I went to borrow the snake, but I did not call on my heavenly plumber. And we can go to church all day long, several days a week, and that's no guarantee that the water of life will flow in us and through us to others. So let's soften our hearts. Let's humble ourselves. If worship without confession is worthless, worship after confession is heart-filling, soul-satisfying, honoring of the faithfulness of God, a worship that connects to God but also to each other. And the forgiveness that makes this possible hinges on Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you remember the disciple Thomas after the resurrection? Thomas, who was not with the other disciples when Jesus showed himself to them. Thomas, who told them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of his side, my hand in his side, I will not believe. And then Jesus appeared to him and said, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand. And put it in my side. And what happened next? Worship. Thomas cried out, My Lord and my God. We worship Jesus who has the scars. Jesus the reconciler. Jesus the restorer. Jesus Lord and God. Let's worship him with a cleansed heart. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Has anything come to your mind as we looked at our need for confession? Will you commit to softening your heart? Confession is a process, so I'm asking you to spend three confessional times with God this week. Cycle back to confession. Each time, ask God to show you. Ask someone else to show you. And then ask for forgiveness. Repent. And then worship with a free and thankful heart. Lord Jesus, oh, how we need your help in this area of our lives. But make us a tender people at ABC. Make us very responsive to the work of your Holy Spirit in illuminating for us Give us the courage to do the hard work of confession. And you be the restorer, the restorer of our relationships, the transformer of our lives, the glue that binds, the love that flows, the grace that we give to each other. We pray for that as a gift from you because you only you can give that gift. We pray for forgiveness 
We pray for cleansing. We pray for restoration. In Jesus' name, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.